God is good. All the time. time. Man, y'all sound good today. Let us pray. Gracious Holy God, we thank you for your goodness that we come to proclaim, your glory that we come to see and experience. Lord, as we contemplate our own futures with you, Lord, what does that mean for us today? Lord, in your own holiness, come and be amongst us. Your spirit move in us, your presence, uh, Lord, shine in glory, that today we proclaim your name on high. In your name I do pray. Amen. I am not sure that we understand the influence for the kingdom that God gives us as we operate as the body of Christ. I'm not sure that we understand the influence for the kingdom that God gives us when we operate as the body of Christ. These were the opening words for our worship series that we began a month ago. We talked about the body's relationship as a whole, but also how our gifts are not just for our families, but for the body as a whole. We looked at the Trinity. God is working on us. Jesus is working in us and the spirit is working through us. We considered what the church, or when the people of the church work together as one body, amazing things happen. And the kingdom is the tangible expression of God's love, grace, and mercy that is demonstrated through each of us. Paul reminded us a few weeks ago that no matter what our role in the body of Christ is, we should all strive for the greater gifts. And Paul says... In so doing, I will show you a more excellent way. Last week, we dug into the interworkings of the Corinthian church, and we saw some issues that they were divided over, of who was the more prominent apostle, of was it okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed, or what about communion, the Lord's Supper, who was eligible to come and share in that gift together. Last Sunday was the day before Valentine's Day, and we saw how the Corinthian church was struggling with love, but not just love, deep love from a biblical perspective. So we dug into that love a little bit and defined it as a decision that requires action. The struggle in the Corinthian church continues in today's scripture. And there's an action that needs to be taken. This time, the dispute is over the resurrection of the body. We think about resurrection at time of someone's death, but do we think of resurrection at now, this time of living? Paul's words in scripture today invite the community at Corinth to re-examine their faith, their relationship with God, and their relationships with one another. As we hear these words, we are given the same opportunity. It's time to get back to what matters, Paul says. So he confronts the issue of the resurrection head-on, and he begins by going back to Jesus. 
While there appears to be some disagreement on what happens to us when we die, there isn't an argument about what happened to Jesus. So that's where Paul starts. Jesus was raised, seen, spoke, ate, and interacted. That's what the resurrection is, says Paul, this embodied eternal life. It isn't, Paul argues, some ghostly resurrection. It's a flesh like we know it. But then he admits it isn't exactly as we know it. But it is nonetheless real. And because Jesus' resurrection matters, our resurrection matters. And by focusing on Christ, not only do we have hope for the future, we have a pattern for living today. What is that hope? And what is that pattern as we read today's scripture? I invite you to join along as Linda reads the scripture for us this morning, coming from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 42 through 58. For those online, I hope you get your Bible. For those here, your Bibles you've brought, or it is in the worship guide also. Hear now the words from our Lord. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was born from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, 
be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How does what happens in the future affect our present circumstances? How does what happens in the future affect our present circumstances? How does one's future resurrection bear on one's actions in the present? Paul is saying that there's a continuity between the present and the future life in Christ. But there's also a change that will take place in us between the now and the then. Now I admit that this is a hard passage. It's a difficult passage to read. It's a difficult passage to understand. It's a difficult passage to preach. But it is a passage that I think is vital for our understanding of resurrection, not just at the time of death, but at this time of living in the present. Paul is not talking about matters of fact, but matters of faith. He's expressing the he is expressing the inexpressible and describing the indescribable. He's speaking about the resurrection of the body. And the church of Corinth and the people at the church in Corinth are asking a question. With what kind of body do people rise again? And so Paul, Paul offers three principles to go over. Now I'm going to take us back a few verses to verses 35 and 36. That's before the verses you have in your worship guide. So if you have your Bibles or online, if you have your Bibles and can see verses 35 and 36, that is helpful. But I'll read them for you this morning. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The body of a seed and the body of a mature fruit are quite distinguishable. They're the same, yet they are not. For example, let's take a watermelon. What's a watermelon seed look like? Usually it's black, it's small, you know the shape of it. And what's a grown watermelon look like? Larger, green, solid, perhaps mixed colors, red inside, and light, lots of seed. Are they the same? They're from the same family? but they have matured and changed in form. There's a difference between them, yet there's a continuity. Who we are made in God and by God and who we become in maturity can be quite distinguishable. We're the same, but we're different. And at one point, we are dissolved by death like a seed and transformed to new life. Through resurrection. We have an earthly body, then we have a heavenly body. Paul notes the commonality between the two bodies, but honors their distinctiveness. A distinctiveness, Paul says, of what is sowed and what is reaped. 
as a result of what is sown on earth and what is raised in heaven. For example, Paul says, you sow corruption, but you're raised incorruptible. You sow dishonor, but you're raised in glory. You sow weakness, but you're raised empowered. You sow unspiritual, but you're raised as a spiritual body. Each of us has a natural body that becomes a spiritual body. Either way, it's a body, but it's that body that has been changed. The body becomes the means by which both the change and the continuity are affirmed. But it's the change and the distinctiveness that comes about as a result of that change that Paul is really emphasizing in the scripture. A seed, when it's planted, is transformed. What about you? And you? And you? When we make a decision to follow Christ, we are, we become a new creature. But we are not yet complete in our life with Christ. Those on earth who are raised are the very ones in heaven. But there's this discontinuity between our present life of believers and our future life that's completed in heaven. This is the point that the Corinthian church, the people, are not quite getting to understand the difference between the present life and the future life that is complete in heaven. God has given each created thing a body suitable for its part of creation. And so God gives us a body that is suitable, that is fitted for our resurrected life with Christ. Paul then refers to the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam is a living being on earth, and the last Adam is a spiritual being from heaven. Some see the first Adam, most see the first Adam is in Genesis, the Adam that we know in Genesis, and the last Adam is Christ. With the first Adam, we share in his sin, we inherit his death, and we have an earthly body. With the last Adam, with Christ, we share in his life, and through resurrection, we become part of the spiritual body. In other words, using the same comparison that Paul used earlier in the scripture, our present body, Adam, is corruptible, but our future body with Jesus is incorruptible. Our present body sows dishonor, Seeking pleasures, desires, temptations, gratifications. Our future body will not be servants of passion and impulse, but instruments of God. Our present body is one of weakness and has limits. Our future body is one filled with power and no limit to our abilities. Our present body is a natural body, an imperfect vessel through which the spirit works. Our future body is a spiritual body being filled by the spirit and used in a way that has not been previously possible. When we talk about true worship, 
and genuine love, as we've talked about this perfect love in the previous weeks, this is what Paul has been saying. Paul is changing the Corinthian, Paul is changing the Corinthian thinking. So their behaviors will follow properly. He's kind of picking on a segment of the Corinthian church. Those who think they're already made it. Those who think right now in the present life share all the benefits of the future resurrected life with Christ. Our resurrection is so much more than our spirit going to heaven at death. As believers, we already enjoy the benefits of God's redemption. But the good news is there's more to come. We do not experience the fullness of all that God gives us without God's redemption of creation. And that redemption, that salvation is not just an individual, personal matter. We're only one part of God's whole cosmic redemptive plan that God in his own timing will bring to completion. I don't think any of us this afternoon could go compete in an Olympic game. It would take preparation. We would have to undergo a transformation in our current habits and discipline. You and I are equipped for this life. We are redeemed for the life to come. In other words, we need to be changed to enter the kingdom. And that change is not something that you and I can do on our own. We are the same body, but we are different. And let us not fear that change when death comes, because the center of God is his love and his grace. There's accountability for our actions. There is a decision that we each have to make, but God does not sit as a judge, but sits as a father who welcomes home his long lost child. In other words, God gives us victory over death. Now look at verse 58. You'll understand this verse. It's a key verse that all these other verses have been leading up to and much in 1 Corinthians has been leading up to. Look at it as I read it this morning. Hear it for you this morning. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul has been teaching the Corinthians, been sharing with the Corinthians, been talking to them about a difficult subject. But now, in verse 58, he calls them for a response, an action by which they must take. And I think it's this same verse 58 that calls in each of us a response that we make for what he has done and provided for us. It's a matter of our growth and maturity we're no longer seeds, but are being transformed into mature fruit. A church full of people who have already made it acts much differently 
than a body who focuses on doing the work we are called to do till we reach maturity. So Paul goes from that theological explanation to a practical challenge. One by which we must be intentional. Life's difficult, but it's worth the struggle. And we have purpose to be the body of Christ. And we are not alone on that journey. And we are not alone when we come to the end of that journey. Through Christ's death and resurrection, we experience the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises and God's redemption and God's holy presence. We can be part of the story by God's grace if our lives become a conduit of God's love. Remembering that we don't bring about God's kingdom. God does. So will our lives, will your life, will my life, at this time, in this present moment, be a channel through which that love can flow until we experience that love in heaven one day with God himself? Jesus' resurrection matters. Our resurrection matters. Will we take action now while it matters for us? In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.